Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Binge Boys is on the air, in your ears, happening. Imagine it's happening live, even though it's pre-recorded. I'm Hal Rudnick. Across from me is Lon Harris on the Zoom, on the cam. Lon... Uh, you, you got your dog on your lap. Uh, he's, oh, it seems like he likes you. He's wagging his tail. So. Yeah, Taco's very happy to be here. I don't know. Sometimes when I start recording, Taco just he gets, he knows people are talking. Things are happening. It's time for Binge Boys. He watched mm-hmm. all the all this content with me. He wants to to jump in. Oh, wow. Taco, an avid viewer. He wants to sound off about, you know, he's he, he, he saw the monsters inside Billy Milligan, and he has oh, thoughts. Oh, sure. Let me ask you this, Lon. Now, my dogs, they react when there are other animals on the TV sometimes. What what is does Taco react to any animals on TV or any particular sounds? What about sounds? I don't think Taco like I don't I don't think his eyeballs are capable of perceiving the TV screen as like imagery. Like he doesn't seem to really even know what's happening on television, if I'm being honest. Like he's aware of the sounds. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I don't know. He, he like a like. It's not like he can't see at all. He's not a blind dog. But right. I don't. I don't know that the images on TV even look like real images to him. He doesn't seem to ever react to stuff that's on TV. Oh, you see, um, my dog's the opposite. When we put on the Westminster the West, Westminster Kennel Club dog show, uh, they start whacking off. Wow, that's just <laughs> hot dog. They're seeing you yeah. know some. Taco's very respectful also, so he just would not, in polite company, ever do such a thing. But Oh, see, my dogs my dogs are real brutes, you know? Um, if you Let's say uh, you put on, like, a Purina or a uh, cat food commercial or a Tender Vittles or your Fancy Feast commercial comes on, the dog will go to the middle of the room, squat, and take a dump in response to those cats. I'm not, are you sure those are reacting to the commercial or maybe just that you don't ever walk the dog? Well, I haven't walked my dog in months. Right. I mean, I think the dog just needs to relieve itself and you're not, you know, you're not letting it outside. Okay, Cesar Milan. (laughs) Yeah, I think that might be the issue more than the commercials. I don't know. That's just my guess. Hey, don't don't push your politics on me, Lon. (laughs) 
Hey, Lon, what yeah. do you say we hit the news? Let's talk about some news. Let's talk about some, maybe a little bit of streaming news. Da, 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 da. It's the news with Lon. Well, it is the latest from conservative Republicans. Don't walk your dog. It's a limit to your personal freedom. It's not okay to ask somebody to walk their dog. If I want to have my dog shit in my house, that is my God-given right. right. That's Whatever your happened right. to freedom? Whatever happened to freedom? So there you go. That's our, that's our top story. Moving on. Uh, it's official, Hal. It's absolutely official. No. Plant the flag. Mark this day in your calendars and your history books. Ooh, boy. Squid Game is the biggest Netflix show in history. Ding, 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 ding. It had 111 million households around the world watched at least the first two minutes of Squid Game. What does that mean? We still don't really know. I don't. Yes. Yeah, that's how they choose to measure it. Who knows? We did get some insight into different ways that Netflix measures things internally this week. We'll talk a little bit about that later. Oh, because we talked a little bit about that last week as well. There's more? Yes. They they use this ridiculous households that watch it for two minutes. They have also now publicly introduced the second metric, which is total minutes watched mm -hmm. overall or yes. hours watched, I guess. Uh, so those, those are their public-facing statistics. We also got a leak this week, which is very rare. A Netflix employee leaked some internal documents about how Ooh. they measured Chappelle's special. We'll talk about that in an upcoming news story. But it gave gotcha. us a little flavor of some of the stats that Netflix is pulling internally that we don't ever mm -hmm. get to hear about. This is all based on their external numbers, uh, where Squid Game, 111 million households have watched the first two minutes of at least the first episode. That destroys the previous record. Bridgerton had the previous record with 82 million households watching in the first month. This is well beyond that. So I feel like one thing we're seeing is the sky is the limit. We don't even know how popular a single Netflix show could get. We thought Bridgerton was the upper limit, but now Squid Game massively exceeded that. Uh, wow. And one more interesting thing to note here, uh, Lee Jung-jae, who stars in Squid Game, he's the main the main guy, Gi-hun, uh, mm -hmm. he told Variety this week that despite the international success of the show, he has not been approached with any big Hollywood offers. Really? So, the, so far, being in Squid Game does not seem like it is translating into, you know, Disney picking up the phone. Get off your ass, Hollywood. I mean, I would, you know, the guy with the snake tattoo, uh, he he's, he would be a great heavy. He's already also movie. had a had a breakout post on Instagram. Did you did you see? He uh he got a some viral post. He got, he got a big bouquet of flowers to thank his Instagram followers for getting to a million. He got a million followers on Instagram in the aftermath of Squid Game and got some flowers and man took a nice photo of himself holding a bouquet of flowers and it went everywhere. That image went around the world. So, yeah. Oh, that's it, lovely. It does seem like there would be interest in the people from Squid Game. You know, obviously, we don't maybe don't know their names. Most Americans probably don't mm -hmm. have a lot of background on, except the front man. He was Storm Shadow in the classic G.I. Joe films. But other than that, oh, I feel yeah. like a lot of Americans probably don't have a lot of background with these actors. But just based on having watched them in Squid Game, I feel like, yeah, a lot of them could probably have uh, breakout moments in other roles. I mean, that's one of the things I loved about Squid Game is that the characters brought their particular roles to life and they were just so fun to watch. And, like, I felt for those characters and went along for the ride. And I thought they, uh, yeah, super castable, I would say. 
Well, so there you go. Not not yet, but maybe maybe that will maybe that will happen down the road. And obviously, we'll we'll see some of them again in in Squid Game Two, which has not been announced yet, but which I would say is almost certainly at some point going to happen. We probably yes, Squid, uh, Game Squid Game Season Two, Island of Delights. <laughs> we'll see. Still no official announcement. But you would you would maybe think that we'd be getting ready to hear about more Squid Game, but they're not. They haven't announced anything yet. Uh, I mean, let's let's cue up that cash cow, folks. All right. Disney and Halloween Kills director David Gordon Green, they're going to team for a Disney Plus original film about Walt Disney and his creation of Disneyland. Let's see if I get this name right. Evan Spilatopoulos, I think that's it, who wrote uh, – he wrote the live-action Beauty and the Beast film that we got a few years ago. He's he's worked on a few other Disney scripts. He's writing the script right now. The project is not directly connected – to Saving Mr. Banks. That, of course, was the 2013 film. Tom Hanks. Starring Tom Hanks as Walt Disney about him trying to get a Mary Poppins movie made. So we're making, it's another film about Walt Disney behind the scenes, but we don't know, are they going to get Tom Hanks back and make this a franchise? Or is this a totally different biopic about a different moment in Disney's life with a different actor. Yeah, I see I'm sick of all these Disney hagiographies cuz like Disney like you hear all these things about him that like oh he was a he was a drinker, he was uh, very racially insensitive and all this stuff. I want a maniacal Disney. I want a Disney who's like get that theme park done and I don't care how many men die in the process. Yeah, the real and throws, Disney. And then he, yeah, and then he throws a fucking TV would, through a window. I would add I have read a a biography of of Disney. I, I'm not a, I'm not an expert. I don't believe yes. there's a lot I, I, There's two levels to it. Obviously, mm-hmm. Walt Disney was not a Jew working in a Jewish dominated industry in a mm-hmm. time when a lot of people like him probably harbored anti-Semitic attitudes. Sure. So was it pr- likely that Walt Disney had anti-Semitic things to say or harbored anti-Semitic sentiments? Of course, certainly. But sure. I don't know that I have ever seen evidence that he was like a virulent, over-the-top anti-Semite. I feel like that might be overstated. Sure. I mean, listen, uh, if if they want to throw some anti-Semitism in there, that's fine by me. I just want to see an evil. Now, maniacal, yes. Union-busting, evil, maniacal, sure, Here's I'm with way, you. I want to see an evil Di- Walt Disney who, in a dark alley, kicks a man to death wow. and walks away from it. Like, yeah, you're thinking like the many saints of Disney. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes, exactly. Like I want the Dickie gritty, Moltisanti the real gritty Walt. saga, yeah. You're not going to get that from Disney, I think. Two quick Disney fun facts, two quick Walt Disney while we're talking about Walt here. Uh, I lived uh, over in Los Feliz where I uh, lived for several years here in Los Angeles. Los Feliz is a little pocket neighborhood of Los Angeles. uh, A very Tony neighborhood of Los Angeles, just so you know. And Walt Disney's original office is now a uh, a, a copy and uh, Xerox shop. Yes, a uh, copy a copy mat over uh, in Los Feliz off of Vermont Avenue, and one of Walt Disney's favorite watering holes. Do you know what restaurant I'm going to say, Lon? I don't know what restaurant you're going to say. The 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 Dresden, the Tam O'Shanter. Oh, the Tam O'Shanter. Shanter sure. in Atwater Village, which you could do if you, if you want a, a nice steak or a piece of prime rib. Uh, 
Try the Tam O'Shanter, folks. The Tam O'Shanter. An adequate steak. I wouldn't say it's not like one of LA's premier steakhouses. No, 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 no. You know, it's a rung below Morton's or. That whole part of town, Los Feliz and Atwater and Silver Lake, that was a lot in the very early days. That was like like the center of film production, like in the the 20s and early 30s. That was where a lot of the silent film era. Uh, that like Edendale Grill, you ever been over back there over on Edendale? Oh, yeah, that sure. was Tom Mix's old studio. That was like oh, one of the cowboy very, legend Tom Mix. One of the very first like old west sets that was ever built for like a ghost town or an old west yep. town in silent films was right there, like walking distance from my apartment right now in Silver Lake. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and and then you have the Max Senate Studios over in Silver Lake as well. Yeah. But Eden Del Grill, there's currently a restaurant, and it's in the building that used to be, like, the saloon back in the Tom Mix studio days. That was actually, oh, like, a cool. soundstage back in the day. And who knows? Maybe Walt Disney himself uh, might have stomped Amanda Death in an alley. Yeah, you never know. That's not going to get depicted. You know, this will be struggle again. Like, people, the bankers will be like, I don't think so, Walt. And he's going to be like, believe the power of imagination. Yes, and then, the you know, power of imagination. We all know, we all know where this to, one's going. Yeah. Uh, so Halloween Kills streaming as of today on Peacock. And then David Gordon Green, that director, his next project will be Disneyland, the film. He's also got another Halloween Ends, which will wrap up this Halloween trilogy. That is also going to happen. And then one other question, Lon. This story of Disneyland getting built yeah. is is separate, completely separate from the Disneyland universe, like the rides, right. uh, the rides yes. having they movies are, now. They are also working on for Disney Plus a shared universe of projects that are about fictional characters who like come from a Disneyland type environment. So like. The Matterhorn bobsledders are going to have to team up with the Jungle Cruise captains to solve a mystery. That is a fictional scripted thing about imaginary characters that's inspired by Disneyland. This is still scripted, but this was more like a docudrama about Disney's real-world struggles to make Disneyland happen. And, And it is true. It's a dramatic story. I mean, Defunct Land is that great YouTube channel about the real world work that went into building all of these Disney parks and attractions. uh, Highly recommended. And so there's a lot of dramatic stories about building the real Disneyland. And I'm sure they're going to tell those, but just not like the the least gritty possible versions of them. I mean, I want to see, I want to see the story, the the part of the story where like, you know, uh, a like some stanchion collapses on top of workers and Walt Disney walks over and says, Pour concrete over them. That's their grave now. And then he walks away. <laughs> Don't think that'll. There's going to be a Funko Pop of a guy, of a laborer being covered in concrete. <laughs> Paved over in front of Pirates of the Caribbean. No, I don't think. I don't. Well, one, one no, last it'll be stuff like yes, where they're like, course, jungle ride? We couldn't build a lake that big. And Walt's like, I believe we can do it. And then, yeah, no, they I, I understand that they're going to break their own arms, patting themselves on the back. Yeah, yeah. Is, uh, is the Rock and Emily Blunt Jungle Cruise movie part of that whole universe? Or is that? Definitely well, not. That's not? Oh. The, basically just the Pirates of the Caribbean universe, but, like, different part of the world. <laughs> I'm confused, but, uh, you know what? Everything I'll, about I the Jungle Cruise mu- movie is very confusing. 
I will, I will grant you that. Uh, Netflix continues exp- experiencing backlash from this Dave Chappelle special. We're in like week three of oh, this now. Oh, boy, yeah. We talked about it a little bit last I'd week. I'd love to not have to talk about this anymore, folks. I promise you I'm not doing this on purpose. But every— It's turned into a political football. It's literally like the third week in a row where it's like, I guess we have to talk about it. It's what everybody's yeah. talking about. Uh Both co-CEOs, Netflix has two CEOs, Ted Sarandos and Reed Hastings. They've both had to defend this special now to Uh their staff in various memos or posts, uh, internal posts. Uh, A trans employee has also now been fired. Uh, Now, there's two different – a trans employee has definitely been fired. Netflix is saying they were fired for leaking – information and stats to Bloomberg. Like I mentioned before, Bloomberg published a big post about this that included, here are some of the internal metrics that Netflix looks at when they're talking about uh, comedy specials. So like they have a rating for like how big of an impact did this make in terms of not just on Netflix, but like in the world. And they gave Bo Burnham special like a 2.8 and they gave Chappelle special like a 1.0. So even by their own internal metrics, this did not move the needle for them the way that Mm -hmm. Bo Burnham special did, even though Bo Burnham special all in cost a whole lot less. Um, So Netflix Netflix is saying they had to let somebody go for leaking that information to the press. But other people are saying, well, that was a black trans employee. Now the only person who's actually gotten fired, Chappelle's doing all of this press talk about I got canceled, but the only person who actually got fired is this black trans Netflix employee, which seems like sort of not ideal. Also, uh, Ted Sarandos in his internal memo to employees used Hannah Gadsby as an example, like we present a diverse range of opinions from Dave Chappelle to Hannah Gadsby. And so Hannah Gadsby, of course, uh, the comedian who did yes. Nanette Douglas. Uh, so she went on to. Yeah, and, uh, and Nanette, absolutely worth watching because it's not just funny, but it's also really thoughtful. Like uh, um, they present sides of the just uh, issues regarding gender and sex that are thoughtful, but not in a like, I'm beating you over the head with this kind of way. It's re- it's really uh, an enjoyable watch, I thought, and not your typical stand-up special. So she did not like being name-checked by Sarandos at all and posted mm-hmm. this long thing to Instagram, including the quote, fuck you and your amoral algorithm cult. I do shits with more backbone than you. <sighs> uh so this is this is not this is not going away. I think as much as Netflix sort of hoped, you know. I mean, there there have been other Netflix scandals that sort of over time people forget. Cuties was a big thing, and everybody's mm-hmm. sort of gotten over it now. And it hasn't really had a long term effect on the platform. And I think they are suspecting that that will happen here as well. And it's just not happened for them yet. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if. First, I don't think Dave Chappelle is canceled. I don't think he should be canceled either. I don't think there's uh, any argument you could make factually that Dave Chappelle has been canceled. I'm not saying he deserves it or doesn't. There just there have not been any negative consequences for him. Like he he is not. There's no definitive. There's nothing that you could point to and be like, see, Dave Chappelle lost some part of his audience or some element of his lifestyle or privilege because of. This special, it, it has yeah, not happened. No, he's he's uh, a, a wealthy gentleman, a legend. Could um, will fill up a stadium in a moment's notice if he wanted to. And uh, but yeah, um, I you know we talked about it last week. I absolutely think he made some serious missteps in this latest special. Uh, but 
shit, man. That's it. That's, that's all. It. That's all. That's yeah. all. How's God on this? Yeah, I don't. I don't have that much to add either. I mean, I don't. I. I, I think that continuing to. I, I think that everybody should be entitled to speak out and say whatever their reaction is, and nobody should be sort of silenced. But I also feel like, you know, it is what it is. I mean, I think we we learned a valuable lesson, which is, you know, Dave Dave Chappelle doesn't really have a lot to say at this point in his career, and maybe a maybe a few years away is good. He he says he's going to take some time mm-hmm. off. Maybe that's for the best, and and he should take some time off and think about what he wants to contribute to the world the next time he's got the mic. Yep, and it, I will also say, just hearing that news about Netflix firing a black trans employee for um, speaking out or leaking a document, I mean, okay, broke some protocols, but that's real shitty optics because in that special, like we talked about, uh, Dave Chappelle questions the very existence and meaning of being trans and, and uh so I think that person has a right to be furious about it. I don't think Netflix necessarily, again, needs to pull it, but you need to address this employee and, uh, and hear, these, hear these folks out because uh, if, if I was, you know, I'm not trans and I'm pissed about, uh, like, I thought Dave is just, like, punching down low-hanging fruit, again, going to this unfruitful well and sticking his flag and dying on this hill that is stupid. Wow. That was like four metaphors in one right there. That was Yeah, I, I'm, uh, they, that, they call me the uh, the prince of idioms, the prince of idioms. You can't stick your flag in a well. That's just Yeah, that, stick, that, oh, stick your flag in a well. That doesn't work at all. I can't do it. You're claiming, I guess if you, how else are you going to claim a well? You gotta this put is a my flag, water. You got to put a flag in it. Yeah, exactly. I claim this gunk for Spain. Uh, <laughs> Apple ordered a 10-episode first season for Shrinking. This is the new show from Ted Lasso co-writers Bill Lawrence and Brett Goldstein. He's uh, yeah. he's Roy Kent, of course, for you Ted Lasso fans. Uh, oh, yeah. Also from writer and star Jason Siegel. Jason Siegel's going to play a therapist who suffers a personal tragedy, and in the aftermath, he decides to just start telling his patients what he really thinks about them and their problems. So he's Ooh, going to. He's going to start telling them like it is. He's going to stop following protocol, and he's going to give people the straight up dirt. Uh, this what do is, they say in the real world? Stop being nice and start. And start getting, getting real. real. The real yeah. world. Uh, whatever the sh- wherever the show is at. Uh, this is Bill Lawrence's third show for Apple. He of course working on Ted Lasso and mm-hmm. the dark crime comedy Bad Monkey with Vince Vaughn. We talked a little bit about that before. That is still being produced and developed. We'll get a look at that uh, next year. You know what? Uh, Apple is in the Bill Lawrence business, and business is good. Netflix announced Voir, V-O-I-R. Voir? I think that's how you pronounce it. An upcoming collection of video essays about film from David Fincher and David Pryor. So David Fincher, we all know, Fight Club, Seven, Zodiac, you've seen the films. David Pryor. Oh, uh, 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 Mank. Mank. Directed directed everybody's favorite 2020 feature, Mank. Yes, do not sleep on Mank, my yeah. friend. You know I'm a you know I'm in the tank for Mank. Don't, Don't mention Finch. The jank Mank. Uh, Don't so that's, mention that's Finch without a pinch of Mank. So prior did the Empty Man, a sort of well-regarded 2020 horror film that's building up a kind of cult audience. Right, now. I thought it was only okay. People love it. 
I thought it was it, it was good. It's oh, interesting. Oh, I haven't seen MT Wait, is that a, that's a Fincher film? No, it's uh, this oh. other guy, David Pryor, who is working yes. with Fincher on Voir. He made the right. film The Empty Man last year, which is based on a, a graphic novel, I believe. Mm-hmm. It is interesting. I, they, you know, all the all the all the film Twitter people are like losing their minds for it right now. I feel like it's a little overrated, but but we'll, gotcha. we'll, we'll see. Feel it's 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 streaming now, so check it out, everybody. Uh, so this is we know a few people from the sort of online film world have have hinted that they're working on this. Drew McWeeny, who we know from the Schmodown, he directed one of the episodes. Uh, Every Frame a Painting, the team behind that well-known Twitter and YouTube account, they have apparently worked on one of these episodes. These are going to be 10 to 30-minute mini-films that are about some aspect of the cinema that has a personal connection for the person who made it. They will debut November 13th at AFI Fest, and sometime after that, we will see them on Netflix. Lon, you are, correct me if I'm wrong, you are a cineast. I would consider myself, sir, a film buff, if you will, sure. A lover of film? I, I, I like a lot of movies, yeah. If you were going to write one of these love letters to Hollywood, what Well, I don't know if it's Hollywood. So they said cinema, but we don't know. That could, They could be talking about international. I, okay. I, I don't... If, if you were going to write a love letter to Hollywood or world cinema... Yeah, I don't want to suppose that they're Hong just Kong talking to about... Russia's battleship Potemkin, what would you... What would your, uh, off the top of your head, what would your thesis be, or what would? It's very hard to say because I haven't seen any of them. I'm putting you on the spot. I don't really I'm asking know you what to write the vibe I'm asking is. you. You don't have to see anything, Lon. You, they come to you. Listen, I'm. Let's let's say I'm David Pryor. Is that the guy's name? That is that is one of the two guys' names. Yes. I'm David Pryor. Let's say David Pryor and Richard Pryor came to you and said, Lon, carte blanche. Write a love letter to cinema. What's what's first? I mean, I I I really like a lot of the like sixties and seventies Japanese crime films, stuff Ooh. like uh, Seijin Suzuki, Kinji Fukusaku, the sort of pinky violence sort of era. A lot of the Yakuza films back then. Um, I would I would think something like that would be really interesting to kind of look at. Uh, crime films from Japan from that era, their gangster movies, which were all of a sudden it just went from it, it became very like colorful, like the idea of funny, quirky, strange, surreal kinds of movies about the underworld became very fashionable for a few years and had had a, obviously Tarantino had a huge impact on guys like him. Uh, and so I think that would be interesting to sort of trace this moment in crime movies where it went from, you know, kind of morality plays. Like if you think of 50s crime, 40s and 50s crime movies is about like, don't do it, kids. You know, like you get mm-hmm. in too deep and then you're on death row, baby. And Or yeah. like a rise and fall type thing. And these movies were more just about like the colorful underworld. And, and in a yeah. way, if you think of now, like like a Guy Ritchie movie would be, or even something like Nobody with uh, Bob Odenkirk. And like, I think that would be interesting to kind of trace that kind of odd, peculiar color getting more into those movies. That's really cool. And um, do the films you're describing precede Hong Kong action? Yes. Well, right. It would be like the generation before. A lot of the time, these guys are sort of, they, they released a lot of DVDs. There was a collection called the Japanese Outlaw Masters. That, had the, that were sort of the umbrella term for a lot of guys from this sort of era, which ran, I guess, through the, like, it was like late 50s to the 70s. Uh, and Very Kiji cool. Fukusaku, 
who was one of the big guys I was talking about behind this whole sort of movement, he went on to do Battle Royale in 2000. That, that oh, became yeah. his, his best-known work. Very cool. Let me turn it to, to, to you. What what movies would you want to make an essay about? If any oh. any movie or fil- movement from film history, what would your voir episode be? Yeah, th- thank you. If they came to me, if uh, the, the prior and uh, the... Not the David Fincher. David Fincher would be like, ah, I'm a little too busy. Prior, you handle this one. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I just, my, mine would be all about uh, um, 80s teen sex romp porkies. There you go. Oh, you know what? Can I answer? Can I give another answer? Yeah. Uh, Ernest. I would like to go, uh, there is, there's not been any serious work done about the mm-hmm. Ernest franchise, and I feel like Jim Varney is an underrated comic performer, so I'd want to go do something like that, too. All right, Vern. Hey, Vern. Yeah. Love, 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 love them Ernest films. Uh, HBO Max's Head of the Class reboot arrives on November 4th and will feature original cast member Robin Givens. Robin what? Givens returning. Oh, the lovely For Robin more Givens. Head of the Class, Isabella Gomez takes over the lead role from Howard Hesseman. And yes, Howard Hesseman. Here's where I want to throw you, Hal. <laughs> Do you remember, not just it's about a high school class, everybody remembers that. Do you remember the actual premise to Head of the Class? Give me the log line. A gifted class mm-hmm. tries to learn school subjects and learn about themselves. Oh, you're so close. You almost got there. I oh. Looking this up, because I mm-hmm. watched this show in its era. Like, I was a kid. I enjoyed sitcoms. I watched Head of the Class when it was on. Same, same And same. I definitely remembered it was about a gifted class like that. They're, they're all like kid geniuses or precocious and Howard Hesseman was the teacher, but I totally forgot the premise is he's like not a super genius. And he's trying to get these kids who are so bookish to like put down the book and learn about life instead. Like the roses. That's the premise of the show is that he's trying to teach these kids. Like it's not just about book learning. Life is about experience. Yeah, so there's a little bit of dead poets. Yes, uh, and I totally forgot that that was an element of that show at fucking all. I just I just remember there was like a nerdy kid and his name was Arvid. Yes. Do you remember Arvid? I'm oh, and then Dan vague. Schneider. Dan Schneider, right. the, uh, de- the dean of uh, the Disney Channel. Yes, he uh, was, was. He was like the heavy set guy who sat in the back, and they. Yes, Blunden, Blunden, Dennis Blunden. There you go. Wow. You're, you're, you remember the show better than I do. And, yeah, uh, I remember Robin Givens was super foxy. I just feel like we're in this moment now where, like, Turner and Hooch also made me feel this way, where it's like, these are titles that everybody remembers. But are these yeah. actual pieces of content that people remember? No shit. You know what I was driving the other day and I saw a billboard for Highway to Heaven, a Highway to Heaven yeah. reboot right. um, that's going to be on Lifetime. Yeah. And I'm like... Are pe- like do people actually remember Michael Landon? Like do millennials remember Michael Landon? I mean Michael Landon, a legendary TV actor. I feel like but- that one might be a weird case because it was uh, it had like a very big churchy religious audience, and there mm-hmm. just aren't that many shows that appeal to that demo. So among- <laughs> I'm just picturing you walking down the street and someone's carrying a Bible or something, and you're like, what up, churchy? Part of that churchy demo. <laughs> uh, so I do feel like if you are uh, a, a church 
hyphen American, you may like <laughs> that's that. Not a thing. That's oh, that's a thing. That that show may stand out to you. That show may be like, yeah. oh, that was an important cu- cultural touchstone for me and my family. I'm gonna watch the new one. That it, head of the class just feels like this fucking disposable on some level. Right. Like even if you remember it, it was just like, yeah, but who cares? You ever go over to grandma's house and have a uh, Highway to Heaven? Back to back with Seventh Heaven. Yeah, I mean, not my marathon. fucking grandma, because she did the way we were Jews and she didn't care about that stuff. But I'm saying if you had a churchy grandma, probably. Oh, yeah. A little Seventh Heaven, a little Highway to Heaven. But then, what uh, wasn't there a uh, like Hell Scandal when Jessica Beale like, did she a post sexy shoot in a magazine, like, like a Maxim or, or one of those yeah. magazines? Yes. FHM stuff. Yes, one of those. <laughs> You kid, you kids may be too young to even remember this because porn is just on the internet now and it's everywhere. But you the, kids may be too young to remember magazines. In the nineties and early aughts, there were a lot of magazines. Maxim was the most famous, but this was a whole large wing of they called them lad mags and uh, lad mags because it yes. started in England was where this trend sort of was birthed, and it was just you know like. Not Playboy. Like, they wouldn't get naked. They were just dressed real sexy. And it would be terrible articles and then photos of famous girls, like, in hot pants or whatever. Yeah. And it was, like, for it was huge for, like, a decade. It was, like, a yeah, big like thing. Yeah, your, like, your Tara Reeds, your Tiffany Amber right. Thiessens, your Yasmeen Bleeths. Young, attractive women would always have to basically, like, this would be part of the job, would be, like, now it would be, I don't know, the Olivia Rodrigo would be, I'm trying to think of who that. Oh, why do you got to sexualize Olivia Rodrigo That's what we'd be doing right now, baby. That's where it would be. Yeah, yeah. I'm not crazy. Anyway. It's true. We're lucky that that now it's just the internet and you go to, like, you know, you go to, like, ladyparts.com and it's all there. You don't have to you worry about I'm, magazines. I'm going to go to, la- I'm going to tell you what exactly <laughs> if there is a ladyparts. Lady uh, lady. Yeah, tell me what's at, tell me what's at ladyparts.com is. I hope somebody bought that this, as a joke. No, this site can't be reached. There's nobody owns ladyparts.com? Oh, my no. God. No, okay, you and I have something to do Before right this, this podcast, podcast goes up, we've got to buy yeah. ladyparts.com. Yeah. Uh, Final final news story. I, I sent you some trailers. We'll talk about those too. But my final yes. news story. A man who tried to rob a church in northern Italy says he was inspired by Hassan Diop, the lead character in Netflix's Lupin. French. First off, that's not very churchy. That's not very churchy. Don't rob to it. To rob a church. He only made it – he got away with about $25 and an orange soda, which – uh, in the Brit- in the British press, they call that a fizzy orange, which I enjoyed. Uh, I like that. He sustained a, a pretty bad injury, though, from smashing through the glass door uh, and did need to call for an ambulance. And that is how the authorities figured out what happened. At first, he had a story, oh, I got beat up. That's how I slashed my arm up. But then broke down, confessed, no, I actually went and robbed this church because I was inspired by Netflix's French heist drama, Lupin. What a dipshit. Like, first off, nothing like Lupin because Lupin gets in and out and you don't That's even know he's like a fucking ghost. That's what I was going to say. Is you don't get to say you were inspired by him unless you fucking get away with it. That's Yeah. Like- Secondly, you know, I know just from watching movies and TV that if I'm going to break a window, I got to wrap my arm in a like a jacket so it doesn't get cut. Right. Yes. You, otherwise, we all we have all seen Ryan Gosling in The Nice Guys. That's how you cut up your fists. Yes, you go- listen, kids out, kids. This is for the children listening. If you're going to smash a window, wrap your arm 
in father's jacket. Your, your hand, not your arm. Your whole arm doesn't need Your to arm, your hand. Well, I'm thinking of maybe elbowing the, it or your well, hand. Whatever part of your whatever flesh part is going to go gonna through to break the glass, window, yeah. wrap it in, a, in father's jacket. I also recommend if you're going to uh, commit a crime, uh, get away with it. I mean, that's really the key yes. to the whole thing. Yes. I don't think you could uh, compare yourself to like the gentleman thief of literature if you don't get away with your crime. That's like that's the first thing. That's the first thing he would get right. Yes. You sir are no Lupin. You're no Lupin. How dare you, sir? No. <laughs> no. Uh, I sent you some trailers as well. Oh yes. Uh, three of them, as a matter of fact. Big big trailer week. The first one. Home Sweet Home Alone. This is Disney's, uh, it's just a remake, I guess. It's like, it's like, what if we remade Home Alone, but it was like vaguely British this time? Uh, mm-hmm. Would that, would that do anything vaguely for you? Uh, Archie Yates from Jojo Rabbit. He's the new Kevin, or it's not the McAllisters. It's a new family. He's the new kid who's been left alone. Rob Delaney and Ellie Kemper are the new bandits who are trying to rob the house. Uh, I had noticed Pete Holmes is the new John Hurd, the the dad who, uh, and Aisling B, the uh, Irish comedian and actress is the mom. Mm-hmm. Looks very, very much just like Home Alone, but now sort of British a little. Yeah, the the one thing that like uh, gr- ground my gears a oh little boy. bit. The, the kid looks a little too gleeful about, like, taking the piss. I mean, I guess, yeah, Kevin McAllister enjoyed it. Like, he ended up enjoying it. Right. Like, he was, like, he earned his way there. Yes, I, the I agree with what you're like saying. But I, yeah. I feel like that might be a, a, a function of, if you're making a trailer for a Home Alone movie, we all know Home Alone is sold on the violence, the slapstick conclusion. They're definitely going to have that first 45 minutes where he's scared. And I I, mm-hmm. I, I think you have to do that. In, in, to make a Home Alone movie work, we have to be on Kevin's side or the kid's side, which means, yeah, you need those early segments where he doesn't understand why he's Home Alone. He's trying to figure out what to do. He's got to go shopping. He's got to, like, navigate the daily ins and outs. I'm sure we're going to still get that material. And they're just jumping ahead because it's like people want to see – we got to show them that we're going to hurt Rob Delaney. Like they got to know right. that we're going to hit him in the head with stuff and they're both going to fall downstairs. And like, you gotta, you gotta establish that. That's what makes it home alone for people. They, it didn't really give me anything that makes me be like, Ooh, I'm going back home. Yeah. All alone. Like I I'm agree. in there also. Cause like the wet bandits, uh, Pesci and Daniel Stern, they were like these fucking scumbags. They were pieces of shit, human shit that you wanted to see get annihilated by this kid. Rob Delaney and Ellie Kemper in the movie, they looked like they were like a husband and wife who were down on their luck. Yeah, they're and right. Like, they even have a line of dialogue where it's like, we're gonna we're we're gonna figure this out together, baby. And it's like, well that's not yeah, that's not as fun if they are in need. I, I wanna see scumbags get their come up and so you know what? I want Rob Delaney and Ellie Kemper to, to murder that little shit. Wow, that it, it might happen. We don't know. We haven't seen the ending, so may, maybe okay. maybe this movie ends with the the thieves winning, and they uh, they're so upset with this kid for doing all this violence <laughs> to them, they just kill him. You know, that's the end of the movie. Is Ellie Kemper's like, you know what? That little shit's seen our faces, and then Delaney just goes over and just cleanly jerks his neck, killing him instantly. Cut to credits. 
Executive producer Chris Columbus. And they drive off into the sunset. Let me throw you this one, Hal. Please. Who do you think should play the John Candy role? What what celebrity would you like to see show up at the very end to help ferry the mother back home, possibly playing a polka, a polka musician? Unpopular choice, Bill Cosby. Well, that's the most unpopular choice. <laughs> <laughs> No context on it. Just, they, she gets in the back of this van. And, yeah, like, and he's wearing his Hello Friend. Yeah, he's got a sway. He's got the sweater on, just like yes. one wonky eye staring off into the middle distance. And he's just like, you should not leave your son alone. <laughs> Horrible. Horrible. <laughs> that, that's terrible. What a just, terrible just, suggestion you just, made. Terrible. I was looking for like Lil Nas X. I'd be like, how fun! The oh, kids would love awesome. that. Like, I would love to. He's see back. Lil Nas X you know, like that. she jumps in the back of this van. It's like, all right, we got to get to our next uh, show, and then it, who, who's in the back but Lil Nas X? Well, how fun is That's that? That's super fun. I, I'm, I'm a That's fan what of I was him, looking and that for. I, I would enjoy seeing. No, him. you had to take it to. Well, with the jello pudding and the Christmas. Uh... You know, I remember once there was an episode where Rudy was all alone. <laughs> you have to understand, folks, when Hal and I were younger, every comedian did a Bill Cosby. was a Bill Cosby oh impression. It was the way people do Christopher Walken today. Everybody had the Bill Cosby impression. And we, yes. we, don't, we never get to do our Bill Cosby impression anymore because he's a villain. Yep. Uh, so, uh, you know what? Sorry to take it there, everybody. No, I'm uh, happy. Here's a, I haven't gotten here's a my, hot take. I've gotten that guy should Bill still Cosby be in jail. Voice. He should still be in jail. He should. I think we all agree. Thank you, Hal, yeah. for bold, bold speaking truth to power. Uh, the next, the next trailer I sent you. It's called Bruised. This is Halle yes. Berry. Halle Berry stars, but this is also her directorial debut. Stepping behind the camera, her feature directorial debut. She plays a disgraced MMA fighter who gets back in the ring for yes. a brutal underground bout to try and make her big comeback to the ring. Yeah. It uh I, you know what this actually looks halfway decent. I'm uh, I there were shades of Warrior which is a uh, I think a really underrated film from how long ago is that probably about 10 years about ago. 10 years ago Joel, sure. Joel Edgerton Tom Hardy. Yes. And um a little bit of you know you can't help but make some rocky comparisons I think. Sure. And uh, yeah, I I like the look of this movie. Hopefully, it has just like you know some real integrity about the way it uh, tells the story, and it's not too you know uh, superficial in in that way. But you know, right now I'm gonna I'm giving it the benefit of the doubt. I thought the trailer I thought the trailer looked decent. It's a directorial debut. It, it, it's good to take on a kind of a formula movie. So that, not mm -hmm. that I'm saying it's gonna be formulaic, but. We all know what this kind of movie is and what beats it needs to hit. Yeah. It's like it's got it's got that formula. It's got that genre that's sort of familiar and comfortable. Uh, and I think it, it does look like it would be a good, uh, you know, setting for like this uh, this performance that obviously was a big focus for her. Uh, so I think, yeah, as, a, as, a, as an acting showcase, it looks interesting. I'm definitely going to check that one out. That is coming in November. Yeah, and she looks great. It's like, uh, you know, she's, what, in her fi in her 50s now? She's in her, abs like that in your 50s, not easy to, not easy to accomplish, yeah, folks. Yeah, right, and I know that she was training uh, pretty heavily with uh, different uh, UFC fighters. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm going to give it a shot. Just with The Undertaker. She's been training extensively with the WWE's Undertaker. 
<laughs> only with WWE's Undertaker, and the training only consisted of rolling your eyes up as far <laughs> into your head as you can. <laughs> That's all you got to know, really, to make it look authentic in the ring. Right? Uh, final trailer I sent you is for Peter Jackson's The Beatles colon Get Back. <laughs> you know, I, I went into this trailer being like, what the f- more Beatles content? I know. Well, we talk, that's why I said we, it to you, because we had already talked yeah. about this. When we watched yeah, Paul McCartney's it, show. Yeah, McCartney 123, uh, or 321, sorry. 321. And so I went into this with a big chip on my shoulder against Beatles content. And then, Lon, I got to tell you, halfway through, it melted my curmudgeonly heart, and I'm like, Damn, I kind of want to watch this. It, it looks like the it yeah. looks like the Fab Four are like really just stripped down and raw and real, and they got a lot of good behind the scenes footage it's here. It's crazy to me that this footage exists. There's like yeah. high def, really crisp, clear footage of the Beatles in a studio just hanging out, working on songs together, and and we've never seen it. Like it's just it's bizarre that it even exists. Like we got like enamored at certain points watching McCartney 321 and that is him recounting stories like this from decades ago. Now yeah. we have the genuine article of how these like just uh, touchstones of modern music were formed and came to be. Uh, yeah. It looks pretty freaking cool. And everyone what, in is it the a studio. Three-parter? Yes. Uh, yeah. It was going to just be a film and then Peter Jackson was like, I can't do it. Like, he, he literally was like, there's no way to put... Famously, Peter Jackson's sort of famous for doing this. Where he's just like, <laughs> it's like, I, there's no way to fiddle you this know, in one movie. You know, shit to Peter Jackson, he's going to cut think, it up into three. I think you're going to pay me three. it shouldn't be as evidenced by The Hobbit. I think you're going to pay me three times, fellas. I don't think I can put it all in <laughs> oh, one movie. Oh, that's his strategy. Yeah. Uh, so, there, so, yes, this was going to just be a film, and then he was like, I can't do it, so now it's a, it's a docu-series, a three-parter. Uh... And it, it, it's covering the, the Let It Be sessions. Now, that's what I think is so interesting about this is it isn't yeah. just a look behind the scenes at the making of Let It Be. There is already a film. There's a documentary, a very famous one, about the making of the album Let It Be. And it it presents this. It's called Let It Be, of course. And it presents this, uh, you know, a, a pretty, it's a pretty cynical look at the Beatles. It's very focused on the tension in the studio and how, you know, this was, this was among the very last times they were recording together before they broke up. Um, and I think the previous Let It Be film that we have is very much that. It's the prelude to we know the Beatles break up after this. Here's the Beatles at like the end of their run together and it when there were a lot of conflicts. And that's kind of just mm -hmm. the theme of that movie. And so then to see this, which we're looking at it now from so many years later, I think Peter Jackson is purposefully doing a counter narrative of like, well, there was all that footage of them being kind of negative and picking on each other. Mm -hmm. But there's also all this footage of them just being friends and collaborating like guys who worked together for 10 plus years by this point. So it's 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 interesting that we're getting like a new t twist on Beatles history as well. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, I'm, I think that I, it really wet my appetite. But crazy, the ghost of John Lennon. Just well, he's been on our room. show before. It's not yes, that surprising. And, and he came back. I guess he knows from the afterlife when we're talking about him. Uh, John, hello, Lon, Hal. It's good to see you. John, welcome back. Regular, a binge boy's regular at this point. Listen, uh, I got, uh, when I, wherever I find my podcasts in the afterlife, uh, I always find binge boys on Spotify. Or iTunes. They have Spotify? There's Afterlife Spotify? Right. Well, we get good Wi-Fi in heaven. 
long. <laughs> so you just so you're just using regular Spotify in heaven. It's not a special afterlife version of it. I didn't check, Lon. I don't know. I don't know well, what to Spotify like, I, so all on those, Earth, Lon. All these numbers I'm seeing of people listening to Spotify shoes, those include ghosts? That's that's those everybody who's ever been ghosts. alive? Those do include ghosts. <laughs> that seems like now, Lon, Lon, I, I saw the trailer and I, I lived I lived the trailer. I lived the trailer for for the for these uh, sessions that they're going to play. They're directed in a three-parter by Peter Jackson, and they left out something very important. Well, what did they leave out? The fact that I love drinking fizzy orange. <laughs> they, they, I don't believe they did leave that out. I think there's going to be ample shots of you enjoying a nice fizzy I would orange. Hope. And I want to break an exclusive here, Lon. My love of fizzy orange is what broke up the Beatles. I drank too much fizzy orange, and Ringo said, "You with your bloody fizzy orange," and I said, "Oh, would you like to take it outside? I'll knock your, I'll knock your cock in the gutter, lad." And he said, "It's a little cocky expression. Knock your cock in the gutter." And he said, "Oh, I'll send you back to Liverpool on a stretcher, you cunt." And I'm like, oh, oh, and he, and then George Harrison said, stop it, lads, stop it. And then Paul McCartney said, let it be, let it be. And we like, you got something there. And when we started singing, but the, oh, it went round and round. I feel like uh, that's probably not going to make it into the Well. It does. It, it was. It was. It's absurd. It seems like it would take a really long time to depict. Uh, most of it's outside the studio, which is not even where the the film is largely set. Uh, and I don't believe it happened. So I think that's a lot of that's a lot of problems with that. How dare you, Lon? Now I got to get back to heaven. They only give me a moment away. Well, wait before you go. What's your favorite brand of fizzy orange? Because fizzy orange just means orange soda, I believe. So sun kissed. If you want a taste of orange soda or fizzy orange, you could do a lot worse than sun-kissed. And remember, let it be, let it be. John, John would not. Folks, just listen. If you're, if you're listening to this, please know that I know that Paul wrote Let It Be. John thought, yeah. John thought it was stupid. Yeah, so, that might have been... That might have been just some wire. Yeah, that would, like, there's no way John would sign off with "Let It Be," which is not his phrase. A, a, a thing he didn't even like. A, a lyric he didn't even he didn't even like. I mean, you know "Let what? It Be." What does that even mean? Is nonsense words. That would be. That's the John Lennon that I. Know. Yeah, you know what? Fuck that ghost. Yeah, really. I'm I'm done. He would he would sign off with "I am the Walrus." That's a John thing to say. Speaking of ghosts, when we come back, we're going to talk about Muppets Haunted House. Yeah, we're going to talk about expert, expert choking smokers dripping from a dead dog's eye. Juan, the Muppets are back. Mm-hmm. Lovable puppets. Yeah. Jim Henson Studios. Disney Plus has the Muppets Haunted House. And you know what? It's a pretty fun time. I actually enjoyed this. I thought it was like a nice kind of throwback to like, because yeah, shared experiences of, of holiday specials. I feel like since everyone has all these different choices, like you don't have these kind of ubiquitous holiday specials that kind of 
that everyone knows as much anymore because you have all of the animated Christmas ones and uh, like Rudolph and Frosty and so many and the Grinch who stole Christmas. And then you have like Charlie Brown's Great Pumpkin. I thought this was uh, just a, a, a really just, you know, Fun, quick watch. Uh, You're throwing and, it uh, in there with a real murderer's row. I mean, you think I it's am, as good as the I Great Pumpkin? I and mean, it's yeah. I, I don't know if it quite stand up to that, but it was. Uh, I was pleasantly surprised by this. The and, the Garfield uh, Halloween special where he goes to whatever the spooky house on an island. I think he and ooh. he and Odie. Or, oh no! I, uh, <laughs> you don't remember the Garfield Halloween? No, special? I don't. <laughs> Uh, I vaguely do. I like this more than a lot of the recent Disney Muppet stuff. I don't know. This feels yeah. like it has more, it felt more authentically Muppety. It felt more like the throwback sense of humor. I also noticed it really, like, it is not suggested by the ride, the Haunted Mansion. It is a scene for scene recreation of the ride with Muppets, which leads me to believe that this is going to be the remodel for the Haunted Mansion. Like, if you go to Disneyland next oh. year, I feel like it's probably going to be Muppets Haunted Mansion themed just because they took such pains to recreate the entire ride in the show. In fact, I was realizing I have the ride memorized while watching the show because I knew what was coming. How many times have you ridden that A thing? A lot. I, well, I grew up near Disneyland. I grew up about 10 minutes away from Disneyland. I don't think I realized that. Yeah, when I was in high school, I grew up in Irvine, which is just down the road from Anaheim. Yes. And when I was in high school, that was like a thing kids would do at that era in Orange County is you would just, it was, it was still cheap to get, or cheaper, to get a season pass. This was before the like Disney adults era when it was thousands of dollars. You could get it like the low level season passes when I was in high school, I think were like mm -hmm. 75 bucks or something. So not super cheap, but like not so crazy that you couldn't afford to buy one. And then, you know, you would just go to Disneyland sometimes on like the weekend and there would be a bunch of people you knew there because that's what local kids would just do. Yeah. So I've, I've been on all those rides like a whole fucking ton of times. <laughs> all right, Lon, Lon, yeah. how many churros have you eaten in your life? But that's the thing, is when you start going all the time, you wouldn't do the touristy stuff of like, I'm going to get a churro and I'm going to wait three hours in line for Space Mountain. You just kind of hang out. So sometimes you oh. go on rides, but other t you wouldn't feel that constant pressure. You know, when you're a tourist and you're at Disneyland, it's like, okay, we got to go, we got to do pirates and then we got to go over here. And you're like laying out the whole day. You got to hit 30 things. You know, it's an itinerary. But when you go all the time just to hang out with your friends, mm -hmm. eh, there's no pressure. Like if you don't get to anything, you didn't ride anything. We would sometimes go and like get pizza and hang out at the arcade. Like, Right on. We were dorks, you know. I'm not this sure. Was, this was not, I should add the proviso, this was not a thing like cool kids who were having sex were doing. Like they were part, there were, there were people from my high school partying and doing drugs and hooking up and all the cool things that teenagers were supposed to be doing. I was just one of the dorks that was going to Disneyland. Oh yeah, I was I was going bowling with my friends. Right, I, there, there, you know, there's all these different sort of circles in in high school, and like this was not the the coolest. Like once once a year, maybe the coolest kids would go to Disneyland too. Yeah, I was not eating ass in the back of a Camaro. No, the like the regulars were. We were not. Maybe like one time you touched like the side of a boob on the People Mover, and it would be like really exciting. But that was not the bulk of what was happening at Disneyland. Right. Uh, 
So, you know, it's weird to me that Disney owns the Muppets. I'm still kind of like, oh, yeah, when I hear that. It's like, I know, but it's like, I, yeah, well, it's, it's, it's just like, it's, they own everything. Well, it's, it's, it's part of that weird transition that the Muppets had. Like, the Muppets at first were not just for kids. Like, in fact, mm-hmm. if you watch early Muppet sketches, sometimes they were a little, a uh, little ribald, a little, uh, Ooh, uh, yes, like yes. there's those, even those, those coffee ads that have taken off on YouTube where one of the puppets shoots the other one that Jim Benson made. And even the oh. Muppet show was not just for kid level comedy. Oh, for sure. But like, Sesame Street and the movies and Muppet Babies and we just had a generations of Muppet content that was specifically for kids and now everybody mm-hmm. thinks about it for kids and so that's why like Disney owning it makes total sense. Yeah. But it is weird because like Great Muppet Caper is not like a kids movie. Right. Oh yeah, no, there, there's, I mean, it, it just straddles the line It is for adults and kids. If you look at older Muppet content, it is a little bit of a weird fit. But, like, something like Disney, the Muppets Haunted Mansion makes total sense for Disney. I mean, it feels very natural. And this is the kind of special that, like, you know, kids will dig it. But it's also, like, you're not going to want to fucking slit your wrists if you're an adult watching this. It's very fun. I thought Will Arnett and Taraji P. Henson in particular, like, really get what it is and how to, like... You know, some actors... It's always interesting. Some actors are very, very good at playing opposite a Muppet. And some mm-hmm. actors are just, like, not as good. Like, and I don't... It's not, like, just who's a good actor. Like, I think just, like... For some people, it just comes more naturally. But, like, yeah. both Will Arnett and Taraji P. Henson both have that thing. Like, it's what Charles Grodin has in, in Great Muppet Caper, where it's just like, oh, yeah. they're just, they slide so easily into it that you, like, forget that they're talking to felt and someone's arm. Like, they're just, you just buy, you buy into it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, someone made the great joke. I'm stealing this from someone, but a, uh, a blowjob from a puppet is just a hand job from a puppeteer. Also, Darren Chris has a nice turn. Ed Asner, was this like Ed Asner's last this, role? This actually was Ed Asner's one of, I think it's one of. I think he filmed a few okay. things where they're going to come out, they'll, they'll come out and stagger. But yes, this was one of the very final screen roles of the great late Ed Asner. Who doesn't do it? He just waves. He doesn't really do anything. Yeah. He he just uh, makes a little cameo. What now? If I was to um, if I was to uh, launch a criticism at this, it would be I wanted more of the other Muppets. It centers on Gonzo, and actually, you uh, you mentioned that you had heard of this one, but I had never heard of this Pepe the. Pepe prawn? the King Prawn. He's been there Pepe since the nineties. Muppets Tonight in the nineties. Pepe yeah, the King I Prawn. Yeah, I never. I had no familiarity, no frame of reference of Pepe the King Prawn. I looked him up. His full name is Pepino Rodrigo Serrano Gonzalez, and he is he's from Spain. Because my question okay. to you before the show, yes, he is performed by a performer named Bill Beretta. I do not believe that is a Latino gentleman. Does mm-hmm. it seem okay? for Pepe the King Prawn, but if he's from Spain, I guess it's not an issue. He's a white European King Prawn. Yeah, I mean, uh, so you're, you're, you're saying it might be a little uh, cultural appropriation? Ah, I think right on the, because it's not just that he happens to speak Spanish, Pepe. He mm-hmm. is a cultural, he's like right on the bubble of being a little bit of a cultural stereotype. Oh, sure. Well, let me ask you this. On the bubble, is, though. I don't I wouldn't say he's full yeah. on over the line. He's on the it's on the bubble. Yeah, I mean, the the Muppets are rife with cultural stereotypes. What about that Swedish chef? Well, that's not a stereotype. Blurgen, blurgen. 
he's he's just outright that that is Swedish. <laughs> but he, but but Swedes are white, so it's okay. That's what I'm saying. If Pepe's gotcha. from Spain, it's okay. Who cares? We can make fun of that. Yeah, that's that's nobody's hurt by that. It's just you and I were doing our French voices like ten minutes ago. It's true. It's true. <laughs> it's just like, blah, 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 white guys. Who cares? Yeah, we can make fun of white guys all day. I think I just have to disagree with you. Like he, he's not a. Le- At this point, I don't think Pepe is a lesser muppet. Shut your mouth and call me Margaret. I think he's a lesser muppet. I, I think on that level, we do. I, I think you maybe don't know your muppets as well. Well, he's been around. If you've been around since the nineties, you're you're not a lesser. Muppet. He's no Fozzie. You know, you know who was introduced in 1985? Elmo. So Pepe's only been around for 10 fewer years than Elmo. You certainly wouldn't say Elmo's a lesser Muppet. Elmo's a Sesame Street, not a Muppet. How? Don't make me. I don't want to embarrass you on your own podcast. No, I know it's all Jim Henson and Those the are studios. Muppets. Sesame Street monsters are all considered Muppets. That's why and they're in Muppet Kermit. State Manhattan. I know Ker- and I know Kermit's been in there. They're all, they uh, all got invited to... Kermit and Piggy's wedding at the end of Muppets Take Manhattan because they're fucking Muppets. You know what? But there's a distinction there's as not. well. There's not. Oh, oh, there is not. Those, oh, those Jim yes, Henson characters is. on Sesame Street are absolutely <clears throat> Muppets. I urge everyone in our audience to tweet at Hal and let him know that those are Muppets. I, no, I get that there's crossover. but It's not just crossover. Are... Those, they are Muppets. They are part of the Muppet family just as much as... Skeeter, Scooter, and uh, Walt, Statler and Waldorf. Animal. Animal. They're all, uh, Dr. Teeth of the Electric Mayhem are and they Grover on Sesame Street? are all full Muppets. Is Animal on Sesame Street? I'm sure he has been. He's not, he's part of Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem, not the Sesame Street game. You know, the band, the, the Dr. Teeth yes. and Janine and that's, that's Animal's their drummer. Yeah, okay, yes, I get they're all Muppets, <laughs> but so, but some Muppets are more, uh, like, are known as the titular Muppets, and some Muppets are known as Sesame Street characters, where I they got their fame. I think you're wrong. I think you're thinking of, oh, you're you're thinking wrong, of the Muppet show okay. roster as Muppets, but those are just some Muppets from the world of Muppets. Yes, I mean, no, go to I Wikipedia. All the very first no, sentence is, Elmo is a red Muppet character on Sesame Street. Yes, yes, they're all Muppets. Well, then you're you're conceding defeat because that was your original point was that the Sesame Street characters are not Muppets. No, here's, here's, I'm saying some of these Muppets are known exclusively for their Sesame Street antics and some are known almost exclusively for their Muppet Show and Muppet Show related content antics. Now, you disagree you, with that? You've moved. No, I don't disagree with that. You've moved the goalposts in order to try to win the argument. The goalposts are right where they. I want them to be. Cookie Monster has. I've never seen Cookie Monster hanging out with Kermit and the Muppets. You have to watch. It's called. The film is called Muppets Take Manhattan. Cookie Monster's in it. Go to the end of the film. Go to Kermit and Piggy's wedding. You will see all the Muppets in attendance, including the cast of Sesame Street. They are all there. What I is said. Gordon there? Is, is no, Gordon? No, because he's not a fucking Muppet. He's a human. Yes, he is. He's a human. Case closed. Let's move on. Oh, I am furious. Um, Muppet's Haunted House is available right now on <laughs> Disney+. Plus. It's Muppet's Haunted Mansion, folks. Muppet's Somebody Haunted Mansion. Somebody does not have a mind for details on this podcast, and it's not me. 
Muppets, there's a haunted structure, and it's haunted by Muppets and Will Arnett. Muppets Haunted Mansion on Disney+. Plus. Check it out. It's a fun Halloween time special. Do you think kids are going to go on the ride and be like, that's not Will Arnett's voice, you fucking liars? Like no, when you go, go hear on, the traditional go ghost on the ride host. and be like, you know who I'm not going to see here? The fucking cookie monster. Coming up, we're going to talk about There's Someone Inside Your House Ooh. on Netflix. Juan, yes. we watched a new horror movie recently dropped in time for spooky season. And it's called There's Someone Inside Your House. And it's inside your television on your Netflix. Lon, uh, how did this horror joint grab ya? I, I thought it was okay while I was watching it. I, I don't I don't recall the movie now. It's a very weird case where I know I watched this and I remember like the act of putting it on. And I even remember like after it was over being like, well, all right, that was okay. But now it's only been a week or maybe even less. Yeah. I couldn't really tell you anything about it. Like, I just, like, she's from Hawaii, and she moves to Nebraska, and people uh-huh. are getting murdered, and there's this guy who her friends kind of make fun of, and she's kind of friends with, and they all think that guy did it, and then that guy, he didn't do it. Uh, that's it. Like, I don't really remember fucking anything. And it's funny, too, there's a there's a, an actress in this name, Aja Cooper, who's one of the main girls, you know, the students who's being stalked and yes. by the slasher in this. I watched another movie with her in the same week. She's also in Amazon's Black is Night, which is another oh. horror movie that just popped up. And I watched that one literally like two days after this one, and I didn't even realize they featured the same actors. That's how little I wow. remembered there's someone in your house that I only realized that when going back and looking up Black as Night, I was like, oh, I just watched another movie with this same person in it. Yeah, as well, uh, congrats to her on becoming a young scream queen. But um, I hear you just as far as this like not making a super impression. Here's the thing. If you just want to put on something scary-ish um, for the season of Halloween, it's fine, but it adds nothing to the conversation as far as upping the ante and giving you something that's, ooh, that much cooler. Like, if, you, if you're looking for a horror movie right now, like right now that just came out recently, I'd go back like a month and a half or a couple of months to Fear Street. The Fear Street uh, trilogy is an interesting- Censor, uh, that one that we watched a few weeks ago, that's censor. now free on Hulu. That just popped up on Hulu, so. Uh, you would do well by watching Censor. That was a cool that actually did add something to the conversation of horror movies and then also malignant if you haven't watched that yet so i'm taking my time to talk about there's someone inside your house to recommend these other movies that being said i thought it was proficient but so derivative and then some of the stuff is on the nose like this kid's like we're supposed to hate this one kid's dad and it's like oh he collects all this world war ii nazi memorabilia that is just such a weird detail that popped up and then the the killings they seem so just like when when we found out who it was at the end i'm not going to spoil it long but uh it's like oh like i wasn't sure how he got all the information that he used to kind of like uh, like, because he knew people's secrets. And- well, they right. One of the one of the bits here is that the killer is uh, releasing, telling everybody your secrets, and like the death is based on everybody's got like a secret that they've been trying to cover up. You know, one of the things I'm not giving anything away here that you don't learn pretty quickly. On the killer is wearing 
uh, like 3D masks that he made of the face of the person he's going to kill. And I feel like they needed to like reveal more about that. Like, let's see the killer with a 3D printer or something. This is based on a YA book. And I think Uh that that's one of those things that reading that detail, you're probably like, oh, that's cool and weird. Like, imagine being murdered by someone wearing your face. But in a movie, it just doesn't read. Like, 3D, white 3D printed masks of someone's face don't so much look like that person as they just like a creepy white mask. Like, if you think about Halloween, we all know now that Michael Myers mask is actually a William Shatner mask. They bought a Star Trek mask and then painted it. Did you know this? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you were making a face that I felt like everybody knew this, and then Hal made oh, a face no. at me that made me think, oh, maybe he doesn't know this. Uh, it's no, just, it's a William, it's William Shatner's face as Captain Kirk, and they spray painted it white. And just doing that, spray painting it white, it doesn't read as William Shatner. When you see Michael Myers in his mask, you don't think, oh, William Shatner's murdering all those people. And in the same way, the masks that the killer is wearing in this movie, you don't go, oh my God, he's gonna kill Darby because he's wearing Darby's face. You're just like, that's a weird looking mask. It doesn't look like a face. And then it's like, oh, like I know it's supposed to be. So then I'm like, I can sort of see it now. So that was underwhelming. And the whole thing, like the, the title, there's someone inside your house. That was only true for like one of <laughs> the killings. The rest of the killings, like he started outside or they were someplace else or like, it wasn't always like, this person was inside your house, using that trope from right. horror. And like I said, just the, as, the, the, and there's so much stuff that's just like picked and chosen and copied from other movies. Uh, the, like, the, the group of teens that we're rooting for, very reminiscent of the group of teens we just saw on Fear Street. But I, I'm sure it didn't copy that because they came out very close to each other. But like just the group of teens that we're following, the one murder after another, just it's formulaic. It's fine for spooky season. And um, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, uh, yeah, but it's somewhat unremarkable. I would recommend those other films that we talked about. Juan? Uh, yeah, I feel I feel the same. I uh, take it or leave it. Uh, the guy Patrick Bryce who made this, he also made those creep movies with Mark Duplass. Those are really spooky. Uh, if you mm. can track those down, I believe there's two of them. Uh, those are pretty good. Definitely more interesting than this one. That being said, th- there's a you know a couple of good kills. Mm-hmm. It's quick. It's quick. You know, nowadays I'm loving something that runs 90 minutes or less, give or take. So it's got a couple good kills. Again, it's fine for spooky season, but there's better stuff out there. There's someone inside your house on Netflix. Also on Netflix, talking about monsters in real life. Monsters Inside, The 24 Faces of Billy Milligan is, I believe, four-part uh, uh, series, yeah. five-part. Four parts. Probably yeah. could have been two. Could have been two. Could yeah, uh, it, it, it could have <laughs> been, been two, maybe, been maybe three. Half, one, you know, I, no, I, I would care. say maybe three, just because the guys lo- like lived to a, a long time, and th- his story is like, I, like we, yeah, we, there wasn't enough to fill it up. We watched a lot of true crime. I, I yeah. don't always think that the thing about true crime, like in, 
you know, like it's it's a little ghoulish. You know, we're we're constantly like just reliving these like gross, awful things that happen, and like I don't think that's always true. I think there's true crime that does manage to have value and have things to say and insights or whatever. I just, oh, yeah. I just don't think this is one of them. Like this this made me feel gross. This definitely does feel like there was just this sick, awful man who maybe he was lying or maybe he had some real disorder. Uh, I don't care so much. Like, like, it's not that I don't care about, like, you know, dissociative identity disorder and, like, mm-hmm. mental illness. And there are issues being raised here that I think you could make a compelling documentary about. I just think, like, it's so focused on this one guy and, like, was he lying or... Like and I don't like I don't give a shit. I didn't think he was particularly interesting. I didn't, mm-hmm. and I I also don't. Um, I don't know. To me, the like the real dissociative. You know, the 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 setup of this docu series is it's about this real the basically the first legal case involving multiple personalities where this guy did a bunch of rapes at Ohio State University in the late Mm -hmm. 70s. And then he said, oh, I, you know, when he he started getting evaluated by therapists, they they believed at first 10 and then 24 different personalities. And some of the personalities were doing the rapes, but Billy, the core personality, had no idea. And that became the legal back and forth. Uh, And that's the, you know, the the, the film is sort of about this case. I, 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 we always get so caught up in the performative aspects of, of multiple personalities where they're like, right. they're like Ed Norton in primal fear, you know? And it's like, Oh, he's doing an accent and jumping. Like, there's one, like one of the personalities living in his head, we're told, uh, knows Arabic and can write in Arabic. And then there's this whole part mm-hmm. about, Oh, he wrote me a letter in Arabic. And I know. And it's just like, I, that stuff, I don't give a shit about that. I think that's fucking stupid. And I think that's obviously one of those times where we're taking this real mental condition that people have and we're turning it into like a parlor trick or it's the same thing we do with OCD, you know, we're like people really have this and it's a real problem in their lives. And then we make it into this like cutesy Hollywood, like, Oh, you got to wash your hands a bunch and don't step on a crack in the sidewalk. And I think that's Mm -hmm. what this film and that's what this guy, and that's what this whole thing is kind of doing to this, this real DID, this real problem. Yeah, I think they could have called it out a little bit more because it became clearer and clearer that this was a performance by this guy. That's what it seemed to me. I mean, again, I'm not saying this is true of everybody who had, like, I know that this is a real thing. But I'm saying in the case where it's like this guy and then he blinks a bunch and then he starts speaking in a British accent, it's like the reason that people are compelled by this is because of how fakey and weird it is and like yeah as they were describing the so the, their you know interviews with the therapist like it remind it reminded me and this is this is weird and i'm not trying to trivialize this because um mental illness is very is serious it's real um millions uh you, you know people <laughs> you don't have uh, to have very, we all know you don't have to be like no people have mental illness we know yeah it's no true. i'm not trying to discount that uh, <laughs> no, nobody uh, thinks mental illness is not real on this show folks but if you don't think it's real, it's real. Um, but uh, what he was doing and the way it was described, like he'd take on a different voice and a different posture all of a sudden. I actually, I teach comedy classes for the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. And that like just reminded me of like, oh, someone who was excellent at characters or just proficient could just um, play this puppeteer game of switching in and out. And he's not even being excellent. Like, it's not like he's Mm -hmm. like Bill Hader up there and you're like blown away by how he's like, it's 
like he'll speak a little differently or shift around it. So it just it felt really obvious to me that at the time there were therapists who were just or psychiatrists who were just excited about this new diagnosis and I'm going to get to write a book and I'm going to get to go on TV. I'm discovering something and it seems so obvious that that there's at least some element like not that this wasn't a sick guy on some level. But there was also an element of these people around him smelling money and feeling like there was a chance to make this into something notable and prominent. And it just seems so obvious that that was the case the whole time. It's like, what is the value in us rehashing it now in 2021? And it's actually a terrible story because uh, he he committed grisly acts and then – uh, you know, I'm not going to spoil too much, but I'll give you a little insight. He got out of jail, and then he ended up committing more grisly acts. So it's a terrible story where justice was not served. Um, but I'm not as opposed to it as Lon. There's, like, uh, some fascinating stuff what, just watching this case. I mean, they do have interesting footage of these interviews. But one other thing that kind of... Uh, uh, bugged me a little bit about Monsters Inside the 24 Faces of Billy Milligan on Netflix. The interviews for where they're interviewing his uh, friends, uh, uh, family members, and people who were alive back then in the 70s and are, are talking about his case today, they're so stylized. And it's like each person is sat yeah. in like what looks like a movie set almost. And I'm like, why? It, it was like so self-conscious. I'll tell you why. It's extremely showy. The direction, yes. the editing is extremely showy. I was, yes. say, I was sitting on this because it's so funny to me. This okay. was directed by a guy named Olivier Megaton. He's French. Megatron? It, Meg, it is Megaton. It is spelled okay, Megaton. Megaton. Okay. Uh, he is French, which explains why there's a Ooh. lot of French experts and, and analysts. And like, there's a lot of, like, a lot of the psychiatry experts are from France. Uh, he is the director of the Taken sequels and the Transporter sequels. He's a Luc wow. Besson. He's a student of Luc Besson. And yeah, he directed like Transporter 2. And this is the first documentary he just decided to get into doing docuseries. But so you could tell that it's like an action movie director mm -hmm. stepping into documentaries like, we are going to shoot this interview inside the bank vault with the door slightly open and the dramatic neon green and yellow lighting on the man. I'm like, why? What? This has nothing, this interview has nothing to do with a bank vault. It has nothing to do with being, yeah. like, it's like a psychiatrist. There was a woman, like, I, uh, Billy Milligan's sister was being interviewed in this Baptist Southern <laughs> Gothic church. And, and his I'm brother like, is in a diner. His brother what? is in a roadside, like a desert diner. It's fucking crazy. It's so weird. You know, you don't want the, like in a sporting event, you don't want the umpire to upstage what's happening on the field. You don't want the, like, the the, the location to upstage the interview it's, it's subject just, it's, and what's... It's constantly doing that. It's constantly like, you could just yeah. cut to something, but he's got to like jump cut and make it staccato. And like, you could just show this old footage, but he's got to like add a bunch of cigarette burns and dirt to make it look extra old. And like, there's just no sequence that he just lets play out naturalistically or just like, it's, everything's got to be like hyped up to like turn the, the thing up to 11. And it's just not even that interesting of a fucking story. Like, 
I don't care about this guy. I think he's just a piece of trash and we should have just put him in jail. And Yeah, he's absolutely piece, a piece of trash. And I feel like he's yeah, a, just a sociopath who was able to kind of puppeteer his way um, through the legal system. But the one but it thing that- It's not even like the, the show has any insight into like the criminal justice. It was just like, well, he was probably lying, but I don't know. True. But the, I think the one fascinating thing is- to listen to some of the experts and the psychologists, et cetera, talking about it and to watch the old footage and kind of see for yourself, oh, is he faking this or is but I this think, real? But isn't that I think ghoulish? that's Oh, it is ghoulish. Yeah, well that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, but, I mean Okay, so but I think you're you're begging the larger question, yeah, how much of true crime is exploitative and so much. Uh, I think <laughs> like that, this is especially is just like I guess, yeah, people just yeah, want to watch no, and see if, can I tell? Ever, nobody else could tell if he was lying or not, but maybe I could tell. It's interesting to piece it together. It's interesting. There's no way to know. I mean, I don't think he's telling the truth, but there's no way to know. Yeah, but it's. It, I think that was an interesting aspect of it. But I agree with you. It feels weird that you would be an abused child and you're like, I'm going to invent a personality that is a Yugoslav gentleman. Like, where would you even get that idea? That feels like a thing an adult made up to me. That, no, that makes sense to me. Right. What was did he have that as a child? That's one of Reagan, one his his most violent personality that comes out. You know, because at first they oh, say yeah, there's yeah. only ten personalities. Yes, Reagan's the most violent of those that come out. And yeah, they're the guy. They they say for a while he could speak Serbo-Croatian, and that guy comes out. And he's like, oh, I do not I do not do this crime. I do the robbery. But you know, like he's the guy that says. He was robbing people, but then another personality would come out and rape the people. He was only there. But he wasn't a child. No, but the idea, the whole idea behind this disorder is that yes. when Billy was a little boy and he was being yes. abused by his stepfather, that was when he fragmented, his mind fragmented, and he created these alternate personalities to help him cope with his trauma. Yes, 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 yes. But why would a child create an alternate personality that's like a proper British gentleman and a and a thug from Yugoslavia? Those don't to me, I would expect it to be more like you know, like and again, it, it's Cookie it's, Monster. Yes. It's all phony, but it's like like primal fear, the the personalities are a lot less specific. It's just like scared boy, evil man, like that feels like the kind of personality is a child who's been traumatized with event, not like a sketch character, which is what these felt like. Like he was inventing like Nico and Roman from Grand Theft Auto 4. And it's like, that's very intense for a little child. You know what? A good little marathon might be Primal Fear, followed by Split, followed by Monsters Inside, The 24 Faces of Billy Milligan, it's available on Netflix. I think there's uh, some interesting fodder in there to explore. But uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I think Lon and I both agree. It ebbs into the exploitative and uh, the filmmaking is a little bit self-conscious here. That's all we've watched today for this program. I want to thank all the owls out there. All my gahooligans, hoot hoot. Owl Nation, Starburns Audio, thanks for having us. Travis Reeves, thank you for holding it down and doing some fine producing, sir. Jason Kay, thank you for the sweet licks to open up the show. Lon Harris, uh, would you like to tell people something? No, I'm good. Lon. Okay, find me on Twitter at L-O-N-S. That's the best place to do it. And uh, subscribe to my newsletter, inside.com 
slash streaming. That's the best place to find out everything happening in the world of streaming TV, and it's free. And you can find me at Hal Rudnick uh, on Twitter and Instagram. And if you're on Twitch, please... uh, Take a look, give a follow to twitch.tv slash Hal Rudnick. We're doing lots of dumb, fun stuff. Some comedy shows, some movie watch-alongs, which have been a good time. Uh, this month, we're doing some spooky ones. We watched Creep Show 2 last week, uh, this past week, and uh, uh, that was uh, a good, dumb time. You know? Did you watch it, Creep it's, it's, Show it's, it's, 1? You just jumped right to 2? Right to 2. Wow. And, uh, Bold. You know, it's it's crazy. Lon, did you know that like some 80s, 90s movies have uh, some stuff that proves to be pr- kind of problematic today? I've heard occasionally there will be a scene in an 80s movie and be like, you know what? I'm not sure you could make this movie exactly like this today. I don't know if you could. An interesting, crazy how that works. An interesting thought experiment, folks. I'm not sure if you could make this Porky's film today. I don't know. <laughs> Oh, uh, Porky's 2 the next day. Uh, (laughs) We'll talk to you next time on uh, Binge Boys. Bye-bye. Binge Boys, Binge Boys. Binge Boys, Binge Boys. Binge Boys, Binge Boys.